This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. As always, Ben Dowsett, associate editor of Salt City Hoops, joins me. Uh, we're a show about the Utah Jazz and the NBA, the, the resurgent Utah Jazz after the All-Star break, yeah. doing their best, including two wins this week, against both against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, and we've got a lot to talk about as a result of those games. And, and then the last three games left in the season, and looking towards the offseason a little bit as well. We've got some good guests going on the show today. We've got Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown joining us to talk about what the Jazz, what is getting them so successful on both the offensive and defensive sides of the floor. And then, you know, maybe a little bit about what uh, Quinn Snyder can do next season in, in order to, for the Jazz to take that leap into the playoffs. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, like I said, from the last few games. I, I want to make sure that you guys are invited into the program. As always, you can tweet us. My handle on Twitter is at, at Andy B. Larson. Yours, Ben, is at Ben underscore Dowsett. Feel free to reach out. Nice. It is? Good stuff. If I'm wrong on that, let me know. No, just... I've been wrong a lot then. Uh, or you can always call us, of course, at 877-353-0700. Please do that. By the way, we enjoy callers. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's get into the triple team because there is a lot of fun stuff going on around the Jazz and the league. Uh, the the first thing, uh, in case you're not familiar, by the way, the triple team we do this both on SaltCityHoops.com, uh, where we do post game coverage after every game, and then usually on on the show every week Thursdays from seven to nine right here on ESPN 700, breaking down three things that are going on in Jazzland right for you at the top of the show. So first thing, Rodney Hood has really broken out in the last couple of games. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, he had a 20-point performance last night, 25 points Saturday night against the Sacramento Kings. Both of those games came against the Kings. And the Jazz really needed it, too, because Gordon Hayward was was really limited in the number of minutes that he played. Uh but then you put together some stats, too, of just how well he's played since he got back from his injury as well. It's not just been the last two games. It's been overall. It has. I put together these together for the last 15 games. So in his And this is Rodney's last 15 games, not the Jazz's last 15, because he did miss about... Rodney missed about, I think, three games in there. So Rodney's last 15 games, he is scoring 13.2 points per game. He has 2.5 rebounds, 2.1 assists. He's shooting 48.7% from the, from the floor. Uh, on over 10 attempts a game, which is a good, robust number. He's shooting 38.5% from three on over four attempts per game from there. And perhaps most importantly, I think, the Jazz are a plus 10 in terms of per-possession net rating. Per, excuse me, per 100-possession net rating in wow. this time. While, which, actually, crazily enough, is like only third or fourth best among Jazz rotation players during that time because they've been particularly dominant over that last 15 games well still so what that's saying is that the jazz are 10 points better than average when rodney hood is on the floor exactly i I mean that that's pretty incredible for a rookie you know we've talked about this a lot on the show that rookies generally don't have a positive impact on their team's Mm -hmm. point total right i mean they just haven't learned the nba game yet they don't know how to play defense uh they don't really fit into an offensive system yet you know you may see some skills out of someone like a andrew wiggins for example but when he's on the floor, uh, 
the Timberwolves do worse. And, and that was true of, uh, of a lot of really excellent rookies. You know, Kevin Durant, for example, had bad plus minus numbers in his first couple LeBron, of years in the league. I think LeBron league. had pretty even bad LeBron, Yeah, yeah, even LeBron in his first year in the league. And, you know, again, he's a 19-year-old. But coming into the league, that young is just really hard. So for Rodney Hood to be putting up the numbers that he did, or he has been over the last 15 games, is really impressive. Rodney's not 19, is he? No, sorry, but I was sorry. But LeBron yeah, still, was 19 yeah, right, coming right, right. into the league is okay. what I was saying. Yeah, well, and as, as Quinn Snyder likes to continually note, and as we've noted on the program as well, Rodney hasn't even played a typical rookie season just yet. He's played, what, 46 games, I believe, to this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right, 46 games, which... In rea- he said this last night pre uh, pre game in his press conference. Quinn did that. Rodney's barely approached the halfway point of what would be a typical rookie season, and yet he shows particularly offensively and in and particularly with the ball in his hands, he shows a poise and a an NBA preparedness that I don't think I think some people had forecast that it was possible and that he would be one of the more NBA ready players due to his age and due to the fact that he spent a couple years sort of in junior college as well as as at Duke. Um, but I think the level to which he's been prepared to play at the NBA pace with NBA smarts as far as the pick and roll, he's so good already at using the pick and then sealing his guy behind him with his butt kind of and keeping his guy behind him as he probes the defense with his dribble. He's got a floater game already. He can finish at the hoop already. He's a good, I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily a transcendent passer or anything like that, but he's good enough at it. He can find the open man. I, I think... It's very, it would be very hard to say at this point that the Jazz didn't potentially find the steal of the 2014 draft in Rodney Hood at number 23. Would you? I mean, there are better players from the draft. Like Wiggins is obviously is going to be a lot better. Jabari Parker is probably going to be a lot better. Shoot, Exum might even be better uh, eventually. Yeah. But as far as what we're seeing right now, at and compared with the slot at which they were drafted. I think you have to. You could at least make a very good case for Hood being the steal of this draft thus far. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would throw him in with some other names who have who have done really well, kind of at the bottom end of that. Uh, I'm just Miritich. Yeah, Miritich is an Wait, obvious was dra- one. Was he drafted this year? He was right. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, no, actually, sorry, he wasn't. He was drafted right. a couple years ago and then came over. Okay. Um, but I would throw in uh, KJ McDaniel's in there, who's who's actually played more but minutes. But he's been buried with the. He played more minutes for a terrible team. He's been sure. buried now with Houston, and part of the. But reason, that's not fair to him. Well, but it's also not fair to Rodney that some of those minutes come from the fact that he was hurt. Okay. If Rodney had played a f- in terms of minutes per game, I would I, I would guess Rodney is a lot higher. I'm not looking right at it, but I would I would I, guess. Yeah, I would also put in. Uh, Alfred Payton as a, yep. as a great player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, uh, all nitpicking aside, I, I think you're right that the Jazz have, have, it looks like they've done really well. It'll be interesting to see because he is an old rookie, you know, where his game goes next mm-hmm. and how much it can expand. Quinn Snyder said today that there aren't really any holes in his game, which is a, a phenomenal compliment for a rookie. Huge. Um, but it also kind of means that he doesn't have that much to improve on, right? You know, where to a point. he doesn't have the obvious things that he needs to improve. And, you know, obviously there are things that there that Rodney Hood can do to get better. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, I don't know that he has, you know, the, the star potential that someone like Dante Exum has. No, I, w- I would say that. And that's something that I think jazz fans should be aware of that he, you know, not all rookies are the same where, you know, we're at at this level right now in their first season since he's playing so well, well, okay, we can build exponentially off of that the same way we can build exponentially off of, say, what Dante Exum has done recently, which I think there are obvious differences there, contextual differences. And with Hood, you're right, the the ceiling is probably not 
quite as high. He's certainly not there yet. He could definitely improve, I think, as a passer. He could refine his shot selection and his shot accuracy, which I think will. there's a good chance that happens as well. Um, there are areas in which he can improve, and he's been good defensively. He could be better. That's that. Yeah. That you could always be better at I, defense. I will say this. I don't think I thought Rodney Hood would ever be this good. I, and, I, and I said this on the show last week, but uh, when you look at the statistical models looking at the draft, they were very, very down on Rodney Hood. Mm-hmm. And me, being a math guy, I, you know, I, I followed along with the models. I said, you know, look, these models say that he should be like the 70th best player in this draft. Why are we taking him at number 23? And I, and I get that, you know, the models aren't everything to go by, but I, I, I still felt it was, rather than an underdraft like a lot of people said, I, I thought it was an overdraft. Yeah. Um, I've been proven wrong by Rodney's play thus far. And that's not even to say that he's been particularly great overall. If you know, if he, you look at a season overall, he's still at like a twelve per, for example. Yeah, which isn't all that great. And I, I think part of what had him so low in some of those models were actually his physical measurements. I know Lane Vashro, who we talked mm-hmm. to last week, physical measurements are a large, not a huge part, but they are a part of his model because. A guy like Rodney, who's uh, Rodney's uh, wingspan is about the same as his height. Which for an NBA player is pretty small. You want your wingspan to be a few inches longer than your height, like Rudy Gobert, who's seven one but has a seven eight and three quarters wingspan or something like that. Yeah. And for that reason, you worry that he is going to be limited defensively as far as he's not going to be able to fill passing lanes as easily with his length. He's not. But I think Rodney, because yeah, I mean he's six eight anyway. I think that some of that was mitigated to a point, and I don't think that we could have anticipated him having this sort of a floor game and a, and a kind of a basketball IQ so quickly. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I mean, defensively, he's leap years ahead of wherever I thought he would ever be in his NBA career. I mean, remember, Coach K took, takes him out of March Madness last, last year and, he wasn't and they're defending. upset because he wasn't defending. Yeah. And I mean, ditto with Jabari Parker, so you know, maybe... Maybe it was a team-wide struggle that they had, but you well, know, Coach K has never been exactly revered for the defensive prospects that he produces. Okay, so I, yeah, I, I know I, I know people that, that I'm, among, I'm the, among, all that. The, among all the ridiculous criticisms of Coach K, of which there are many, uh, I have found that one of the actual more realistic ones is that sometimes, not every year, but sometimes his teams do have certain defensive deficiencies. Now, I, now I want to look this up. So Carlos Boozer, yes, mm-hmm. uh, Grant Hill. Grant Hill was a good defender. Yeah, while he was healthy. I, I mean, I'm just trying to come up with with examples that fit Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner can never play defense. That's in the true. Um, quick, we we did have a tweet here from Casey Greer. Uh, how much can we expect Rodney to improve given he's already 22? We, we, we were kind of yeah. mentioning that essentially. I, I do think that the this we can't assume his ceiling to just be exponentially higher than where he is. Basically, I I agree. I mean, I, I think he tops out as an above average starter. Yeah, probably. Which, which is pretty at good. Twenty third pick is great. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just curious about this defense question now. Elton Brand, uh, right. Mike Dunleavy Jr., nope. uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, not I mean, a great defender. No, not at all. He's been, uh, they've, they've done the Plumleys. They're okay. They're not awful. They're not great. I, I don't know that there's a great defender on this list. Yeah, no, Austin Rivers def- is terrible. One of the worst players in the league, first of all. But yes, uh, I don't think there's really been too many notable great defenders that he's ever produced out of his system. And, you know, some of that might just be the luck of the draw that the prospects he happens to have gotten happen to have not turned out that right. way. But because, I mean, it's not like the guy hasn't had a huge amount of success while at Duke. But That's true. Speaking of Duke and people who maybe weren't the biggest fans of Duke's title <laughs> recently, we wanted to talk a little bit about Gordon Hayward. Um, 
I wrote a piece earlier this week titled simply Gordon Hayward is tired. I like the title there. That was a snappy headline. Yeah, I know. I thought I thought I'd uh, keep it simple. And I, I do really think at this point that it's true. We've se- I mean, we've now seen two consecutive games, including last night, where Gordon played under 20 minutes, didn't play in the fourth quarter. And even when he did play, it looked like he was exhausted, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think Quinn Snyder's noticed as well. And I, I actually asked Quinn in the postgame presser last night whether there had been any consideration given to just sitting Gordon for the remaining four games of the season because that's not very long and the Jazz aren't playing for anything. And really the potential downside, in my opinion, of playing him in those games far outweighs the potential upside, which I don't even really see much potential upside whatsoever, whereas yeah. the potential downside is he overexerts himself and hurts himself. I mean, I, I see your point there, but I, I don't see it in terms of potential upside. I, I, I see it as the, the problems that you create by giving him the last three games off. Right. And, and to me, you, you're saying that, you know, Gordon, 78 good games is good enough. When next year you want the Jazz to be playing 88, 90, 95 games, you know, you want them to be going into the playoffs healthily and strong and not, you know, too tired to finish out the season against when you really need it the most. Yeah. So to me, I think Gordon Hayward needs the experience there of playing 85 or, you know, 82, a full 82 and see what what he can do and and learn how to play tired. I think that's a big thing too because it, if he plays like he did the last couple of days tired next season at the end of the year, the Jazz won't have a chance, right? Probably he not. needs to learn how to play tired so that way, you know, instead of putting up 5 points in those times, he's he's still putting up, you know, 14 5 and 5 or something like that, still giving his team a chance to win without just completely taking them off the floor. Right. Okay, so real quick, let me toss the folks a couple of numbers and then after I do so, I'll make what would be my counter to that series of points that you just made, which, by the way, I do think are robust and realistic. Um, Real quickly, pre-All-Star break, Gordon Hayward was shooting 46% even from the field. Since the All-Star break, he's shooting 40.5% from the field. Pre-All-Star break, he was shooting 39.2% from three. Post-All-Star break, he's shooting 28.7% from three. Uh, His true shooting percentage has dropped significantly, but his usage, which again is the percentage of team possessions he uses while on the floor, has drastic, not drastically, but has risen from about 25% to about 27.5%. Now, and for me, actually, the most telling statistic in there is that on open jumpers, which I tend to put a decent amount of stock in as far as player fatigue goes because legs are a huge part of open. And this is open jumpers outside 10 feet, by the way. And the further you get away from the hoop, the more your legs have to do with whether you're a good shooter or not and whether your shooting is on form. Now, before the All-Star break, on all open shots, with that being a defender with no defender within four feet, excuse me, Gordon was shooting 43.4% on those shots. Since the All-Star break, just 35.2% on those shots, which I think... You really can't get much. I mean, some of it could be variance, sure. Some of it could be a bit of a slump, but you can't get much clearer of an indication that this is a guy whose legs have worn down on him. Yeah, and I I completely agree. And and you watch the games too, and you know, it's just clear that he's yeah. you know front running from front rimming everything. It, yeah. It's just clear that he doesn't have the legs. It's 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 abundantly clear that he's absolutely tired. Absolutely. And, and I I totally see the argument for uh, why you'd want to let him rest the rest of the season. 
I don't think that it sets a very good precedent, and I don't think that it actually helps Gordon Hayward very much long-term. You're probably right in terms of how much it's going to help him long-term. I I do think that the injury risk is a small concern, not a huge one. The chances are low. And as Quinn noted when he answered my question last night and said, no, we will not be sitting Gordon down, he he noted that there are other sorts of ways you can help preserve his body. There are other guys like Rodney Hood, like like even Trey Burke last night who got a few more minutes as a result. Those types of guys that can get an extra look with a, a little bit of a larger role in the offense while Gordon is out. My my thing is that just the the as I mentioned in my piece, the context of Gordon being this tired by this time this year is expected to be different next year. And in my opinion, really, if it's not, then I'm not sure we're going to see this the, as much success from the Jazz as we assume we're going to see next year anyway. The, the the load offensively that Gordon has had to take on this year, even with the Jazz redistributing some of the offense and, and things like that, so it's not maybe quite as bad as it was last year for him, the load is still very, very heavy. One of the one of the 10 to 15 biggest in the league, I think, yeah. of any player. And next year... But if you want him to be a top 10 or 15 player, you got to let him play like the top 10 or 15 players. You know, LeBron... But, had his two weeks off, I guess, in the beginning of the year. Maybe LeBron was not a great example. He wasn't because if, How about well, I James bet you, Harden? because I bet you if they had given Gordon, Gordon two weeks off in the middle of the season, he'd be fine. doing just fine right now. Yeah, my, right. My, my thing is that I think the context surrounding that is that yes, you still want Gordon to be performing as efficiently as a, a top fifteen player, but I don't think that you necessarily need to do that while putting the burden, especially within a Quinn Snyder system that is excellent about distributing things offensively and getting the entire team involved. I don't think you need Gordon. And Hayward to have a top 15 load, if you will, on him. And over the last two games, Quinn Snyder has taken away that load while still not giving him the easy out. Right, and that's you know what, and that, that's I'm what totally, I want. Totally fine with that, and I'm totally cool. Okay. I, I did have one real quick note just from our last set, or well, from this one that we were talking about from Brett Mill on Twitter saying Shane Battier was a solid defensive yeah. player, which is correct. And I got one from Coley Balderston saying, "What about Luol Deng?" So Luol fine, Deng there are examples. We found a couple wing guys. Yeah, that's true. Although, here's my question: Were either of those guys more renowned for their defense while in college? I'm not sure. Battier, definitely not. Battier was the offensive centerpiece of that team when he was there. I don't remember Luol Deng as well, so somebody would have to tell me on that one. But. Yeah, I mean, they weren't defensive players in college, but, you know, defensive players, well, and uh, they played great, good, good to great defense in college, don't get me wrong, yeah. but they weren't known for their defensive no, skill, that's I, what I, I mean. don't think. And, yeah. and, you know, that's that's fine. Yeah, and uh, sorry, real quick, one more from Twitter. Uh, Casey Greer says, uh, Gordon seems to be tired in part because of his high usage, which is kind of what I'm saying. How does that change next year with Burke's back, Exum and Hood improving? I'll add to the, your tweet there, Casey. We also pot- may potentially have a free agent incoming and right. or a, a draft pick, depending on which direction the Jazz try and go there. May right. have a trade target, depending on right. which direction the Jazz try and go there. I think the goal next year for the successful team that people want to see from the Jazz is where the, the offensive load on Gordon is not as great. And I'm hoping, this I don't know for sure, but you have to hope that the arithmetic favors the Jazz there where that load taken off of him more than makes up for the fact that, as you say, they're hoping to play 90, 95 games next year rather than just 82. And and it may, I, you know, I, I guess I'm more, I, I don't take those leaps 
for granted, I guess. Yeah, no, um, and, and that's for sure. You, can, you can't necessarily, and you, although you could also hope another in favor of him not being as tired as you hope that if the Jazz are as good as we think they might be next year, maybe they start pulling what Golden State has done a bunch this year where they blow teams out so they're badly. They're not going to be Golden State good, I'm not though. saying they're going to be that good, but they're going to have no some No other team games. in the league has done that as much as... No, I, I didn't mean that much. I okay. just meant it's a trend that people note with Golden State, how Curry gets to rest in a bunch of fourth quarters because sure. they blow teams out. The Jazz won't do that as often, but they might do it more often than this year, for I, example. But uh, the Jazz, I mean, we've seen the on-court, off-court stats. When when Gordon Hayward is on the floor, they're great. And when they're off the floor, their offense completely falls apart, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, you know, maybe the last two games notwithstanding, but that's been the trend. And if the Jazz are in a contending battle next season, they're, I, I still think that they're going to have to rely on Gordon Hayward as, as the number one guy. I mean, oh, I don't the number see one guy, sure, but not the not to the same degree of of burden on his body every night. I think you can still be a number one guy without having to have this level of fatigue on your body every game. Yeah, and I, I think it's possible. I just, I just don't know how likely it is, which is I, a very nuanced argument and true. difficult to make. Right. <laughs> All right, we got one more triple team point here. Yeah, let's get to it. All right, so you think that, and and maybe this is unfair, but Quinn Snyder uh, may get Coach of the Year dis- some discussion there, and, and Rudy Gobert may be in, in place to get some of these awards, maybe Sixth Man of the Year, maybe Defense Player of the Year. How likely do you think these really are? Now, when I talk about them, but there being potential for these, I generally talk about them just for ballot spots which for coach of the year is top three and for is defensive player top three or is it top five i don't remember i think it's three okay um i think of with that i don't think that either is going to win either award um i think in fact actually i think the award rudy has the best shot at winning his most improved player if he's going to win one um you do I, I think so. I would pick I that think, over a defense player of the year because Jimmy Butler is the most improved player, and I think that was set in stone a long time ago. Most I mean, likely, I, I just he was one of the top ten players in the league this year, and you know what was he last year? Although he's 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 come 20th? back and been quite underwhelming, and he was injured for a while, whereas Rudy hasn't missed a game. Um, I, I think that one could be close, although you're probably right. And usually, that's one of those where the early bias is what ends up taking it. Like Jimmy was was the early right out of the gate was a massive favorite within the first month of the season, and I think that likely holds out in the end. Um, I did want to at least mention though that uh, now currently, if I had a ballot for Coach of the Year, I wouldn't have Quinn in the top See, three, and but I would have him fourth. And I think, but you wouldn't put him on your ballot then. Well, no, but I think that it's worth a conversation nonetheless, and that could change in if neither Boston nor Indiana makes the playoffs. My case currently is that I would have Brad Steven. I would actually have Brad Steven second right now if Boston makes the playoffs. Okay, behind Budenholzer, who I would have winning. And then um, Kerr third. I would have Kerr third, and then I would have Snyder fourth. And But if Boston were to fall out of the playoffs or have a terrible run, I don't know. I'd still probably have Stevens above. See, but that's I, the thing. is like You and I are terrific jazz homers. There's no doubt. And we're not even putting him on our ballots. No, and I'm trying to be as objective as I can. I know, that, I know. I, I legitimately think that if the ballot were to be top five, which we know it's not, but if it were to be, that I, I think Quinn Snyder would have a legitimate argument for the four or the five spot on that ballot. Because... You look at what, the, and I actually saw an interesting tweet today from uh, Matt Moore, Hardwood Paroxysm, saying who right now would win if there was a, an award for Defensive Coach of the Year. But again, uh, Jason Kidd would. I don't, I don't because think I agree. they they are the fourth best defensive team all season. The Jazz have only been good since the All Star break. They were along with the Jazz the worst team defensively last season. That you look at that improvement for an entire season with with much the same roster, and you have to put nearly all of it on 
on Jason Kidd. I mean, the Jazz have like this clear defensive superstar rising up in Rudy Gobert. Jason Kidd doesn't have that same sort of. Mm, that depends on your thoughts on Chris Middleton, but I mean, but Chris Middleton was on the roster last season. No, it's true. Well, Rudy Gobert was on the Jazz roster. Sure, last but season. Uh, again, uh, but again, Chris. Okay, which of those players is more likely to get a larger share of the credit, Chris Middleton or Rudy Gobert? I think that the answer is Rudy Gobert, but I think if we were to be realistic about it, Middleton would be a lot closer than you would think because the ability to switch Middleton to power forward and or anywhere two through four and have him be extremely effective against the guy he's guarding is massive for the style of defense they play. Yeah, which is something that of course Gobert is huge for the Jazz as well. I, again, I'm not. I'm not necessarily trying to say that I think Quinn would win any of these awards, but simply the fact that he would be involved in these conversations, I think, is what I wanted to bring up. And I think we're putting him in the conversations because we want to be. And I I love Quinn Snyder, don't get me wrong, but I I think we're saying, uh, you know, he's not really in the conversation. For for you don't you wouldn't have him in a top five defensive player. Sure, or, but uh, top, five top five isn't in the conversation. Now? I think it is. There's only thirty of them. Like, <laughs> the, I, I think top five being one of the five best at your profession in the world, which is essentially what yeah. that means. I think that's certainly uh, a notable, especially since it's his first year doing it. No, I mean, it, I, I I guess it's notable, but I, I just think that we should be a little bit honest and say there's zero chance that he's in the top three. You're right. There's basically no chance he actually makes the the real ballot in the in in the league. And I would say that there's a chance that Rudy that Rudy does though, either for defensive player or for most improved. Agreed. Probably doesn't win either one, but I would say there's a, a decent chance he makes the top three. All right. Well, we'll continue this conversation later on in the show. Coming up next, though, we've got Coach Nick of Basketball Breakdown joining us to break down the X's and O's behind the Jazz's success since the All Star break. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. Joining me as always, trying to get Coach Nick on the line. He's from Basketball Breakdown. Uh, just want to get, let's see if we can get him here. We're, we're trying. Um want to point out, first of all, that yes, I was wrong about that Duke defense thing. There are a bunch of good defenders who have played at, at Duke University from Shane Battier to Luol Deng. So it's not all just Carlos Boozers and Kyrie Irvings out there. It, there are uh, some good defenders out there, which is nice to see. I, I also want to point out, we, we didn't get to talk about uh, Rudy Gobert a lot during that segment, but I, I do think that it's it's possible that he wins Defensive Player of the Year, um, maybe just because he's the sexiest candidate. I mean, Andrew Bogut is a good defender. Don't get me wrong, but you know he's it's not like he's blocking a lot of shots. He he just does it by being so good at the rim and and kind of dissuading people from getting down there. And, and then you've got guys like Draymond Green. You know, I, I, I think don't Draymond's think Draymond's gonna win. I, I do think Draymond's <clears throat> gonna win. Maybe he splits a Warrior vote a little bit. A little. I, I think he's gotten so much more pub than Bogut has that I think he's gonna win. Um, I, I would vote for Draymond if. It was today and i'd probably vote frankly i think there's a world where you can vote those guys one two and not feel that bad about it i don't know that i would but i think like i wouldn't argue with somebody that wanted to yeah neither do i just don't vote deandre just god please guys don't vote deandre (laughs) jordan deandre jordan is not the best defender on the 16th best defense in the league don't vote him for defensive player of the year please anyway let's move on we got coach (laughs) coach nick on the phone all right we've got coach nick on the phone coach are you there i am here well, it's great to hear from you. Coach Nick, by the way, uh, you can find him at bballbreakdown.com, the YouTube channel, bballbreakdown, and his Twitter ta- handle is, unsurprisingly, at bballbreakdown. Consistency. We, we like it, Coach. Um, I'm in. I'm in. 
I'm All right, two. cool. Perfect. Uh, well, let me get your, your opinions on this, kind of bring you into this defensive conversation. Obviously, the Jazz have been tremendous defensively since the, since the All-Star break. What's been the biggest change for you there in, in looking at their defense, especially with when, you know, obviously the Jazz are good with Rudy Gobert on the floor, but what about when they're not? They've still been really successful as well. Well, when Ben actually pointed my atten- the attention to that, I kind of fell off my chair for a second because I couldn't believe that they wouldn't lose anything when he goes out. So uh, I went through a little bit of the footage, and I got to tell you, it, it seems like it could very well be, you know, that they're that they're so in shock when Gobert is in there, right? He's such a presence, and that it's so jarring when he's not. <laughs> that it's harder for them to sort of uh, to adapt. <laughs> I mean, you know, Favors is 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 fine down there, and they have some length of uh, with other athletes out there that can that bother people. But um, it, it's a very strange thing, and I don't know. Does this sort of uh, give an argument against Rudy Gobert as Defensive Player of the Year? I think not to a, because first of all, they still have been significantly better with Gobert since the All Star break. So since the All Star break, there without Gobert, they'd still be among in the conversation for the league's best defense on a full year basis. But with Gobert, they're like sub ninety three per one hundred levels, which is like no team has done that over a full season for the la- in the last twenty years or any or maybe even ever. I'm not hundred percent sure. And I think to a point, you could be. Uh, I don't know that it necessarily detracts from his MVP campaign or MVP, excuse me, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, as much as it illustrates how effective Quinn Snyder has been with his entire group as far as creating a five-man cohesive defensive unit that is capable of interacting with each other, whether or not Gobert is on the floor. You know, you mentioned Favors. Favors has become, with the help of Gobert, I think it's fair to say, one of the 10 best rim protectors in the league by sport view numbers. Like you said, Coach, they've got guys like Exum on the perimeter, guys like Elijah Millsap. Hood has done a great job defensively. They've got length there that can bother, uh, and that's something that Quinn Snyder likes to talk about all the time. The question, I think, though, is how good can this team be on the other end of the court when they do give Gobert and along with Favors as many minutes as they're planning on because you you, you just have to play those two together because of how good they are defensively. Do you see anything, Coach, in your analysis that, that might lend itself to what the Jazz can do to kind of help themselves build an offense around those guys as well? Well, the first thing you think about when you have got big guys like that is really Gobert, and he's not really a post-up presence, so is Horns. And there's no question that the Jazz like to run horns. They certainly do it plenty of times. Just even the in the uh, in the last like few games I was watching, I kept seeing it come up even off of motion like they do with the Spurs. So that would probably be a good way to kind of get Gobert away from the basket, so that he can kind of come crashing in and get those tips that he's really good at. And um, and so that that's my first instinct there. Um, they definitely need more motion. They 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 too often to a high pick and roll without much motion beforehand and so you get a lot of guys who are standing in the corner for 10 to 12 seconds at a time um, and that's just kind of a little frustrating just from as a process to watch that happen but uh, you know there's no question that it looks it, the look is there they have the foundation and it's a question of some of these guys that we can talk about uh, developing over the summer uh, significantly and they actually will have something on offense now, which of those guys might you maybe point the microscope at a little bit as far as, I think shooting is one thing, would you agree there, that shooting around those guys, you know, because Gobert is never going to be a shooter, and Favors has limited range as far as that goes, would you think that's probably one of the key things to look at? For sure. And Rodney Hood, is. I'm, I'm getting the poster framed right now on my hop <laughs> wall 
because he is the poster child for Hop more than I don't think I think anybody in the league right now. And it's a beautiful jump shot. Uh, I have no doubt that as he progresses and gets more experience and their offense becomes more uh, flow, they will he will be up there with the three-point lead leaders uh, going forward. There's no question. So he is there, I think, and almost there. You want, to, uh, um, you want to real quick explain to our listeners what the hop is for those of them who don't know? It's a, it's a basketball fundamentals 101 here, guys, that Coach Nick is about to explain to you. <laughs> Sure. Well, there's two different ways. There's either the one-two, where you catch the ball with your lead foot and forward, and then you bring the back foot together, and you shoot it. I argue that's slower, uh, although if you're wide open, go ahead and one-two it. The hop is when the ball is in the air on the way to you. You are in the air about two inches high, and as you catch it, you are landing and exploding off of the floor and shooting it in a rhythmic, quick, explosive uh, manner. And Rodney Hood, since Duke, has been shooting this way. I was actually at Summer League this, this past year. I was at the game where he hit like eight or nine of them, and they were all hop, and they were all beautiful. And, um, and he just really does it on, on more than uh, shots than I've seen anybody else do it this year. So that gets me really excited. Yeah, you're a, you're a hop guy. If you follow Coach Nick at People I'll Break Down <laughs> on Twitter, you'll know he'll occasionally post videos essentially of just a beautiful hop because again, it is it's basketball fundamentals 101. You've seen a lot of great shooters throughout history essentially that have utilized this exact thing because it sets your frame and and essentially sets you on an even keel to then have the most uh, uh, flow type jumper that you possibly. I did a really bad job with my English right no, there. No, makes sense. But um, uh, coach, as far as on either end of the court, um, and you did just go into a couple as far as the offense. If you were Quinn Snyder going into next year and you wanted to just tweak a few things here or there, whether it something on either side of the court, just to kind of help improve a little bit, are there any little tweaks like that that you've noticed? Well, I, I would certainly, like I mentioned on, on offense, they need to get away from the stagnant pick and roll that they're doing on top. And it could very well be that they're young, you know, practice times at a minimum. And so, you know, he'll just need another, um, you know, training camp to be able to put more stuff in. And he certainly has a pedigree uh, from who he's coached with to do that. So I think that the natural evolution of their offense will get there and they'll, they'll have what they need. Uh, and then defensively, I think it's the same thing with execution and communication. With, uh, you know, every once in a while I do see no middle defense. It's another one I, I expound on and, and, and believe in. But, you know, there is uh, on occasion or often, even now with their good defense, uh, mishaps on communication, uh, on switches or on how they want to defend, pick and roll on the side. And that's real easy to fix with just, you know, more, more playing time, more experience with some of these young guys. Uh, and then, you know, it, it seems like, Quinn Snyder does have uh, the tools to do that and to have attention to detail. So I, I am actually pretty confident. The only problem they have is that they're in the West and they're going to have to deal with mm-hmm. every other team that I don't see getting worse going forward. They're going to have to make a bigger leap. So a guy like Dante Exum, who I had said, you know, was at least two years away from really being solid, he, you know, this is his one year. He probably needs another year to sort of completely get used to the speed and then polish his game up tremendously so he can really start to help them so so given that coach would you make acquisitions if you were the jazz would you you know maybe make some win now acquisitions maybe trade the pick like zach Lowe talked about what what would you be looking to get or acquire in this year's offseason if, if you were the jazz's front office 
Remind me, what is their pick situation right now for this year? Um, they currently retain their own pick, which could fall anywhere roughly between about 9 and 12, depending on how a few teams around them do, like Boston, Charlotte, uh, Indiana, teams like those. Um, so that's going to come down to probably the last day of the season. But they own that pick, they own their second rounder, and then they own, I believe, 11 second rounders over the next four years total, plus uh, Golden State's first rounder in 2017 and potentially Oklahoma City's first rounder from this canter trade, depending on how things shake out standings-wise over the next couple of years there. Well, if I were the Jazz, and I would probably get fired for being a GM because it's not my thing. <laughs> I usually, uh, you know, I'm focused on the X's and O's. But uh, I would keep that pick because it's a deep draft. There's a lot of good players coming out. Uh, we know they're not really going to be quite there next year anyway. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think the whole thing's going to shake out after next year with the whole uh, salary cap rising and free agency stuff. So I would keep that pick and work on developing one more year. I, I think he's safe. Coach Snyder is safe at least through there, uh, as long as they show, you know, continue to show improvement. Um, so I wouldn't really pull a trigger and mess too much with what they've got because obviously they have a, a really, really solid defensive core right now. And I just think it's a matter of time till they improve on the other side as well. So that would be my take on it. There's nothing, no, no reason to get rash right now and start trading away stuff. Uh, we keep it, get a really nice, another solid role player, another long athlete, um, and just keep working on the player development. I think Exum has a chance, like, you know, to, to, to be that guy who's going to be a real nightmare for other teams. Um, it's just, he just has a lot of work and a lot of, um, you need a lot of patience with him. Yeah, a long way left to go. All right, well, Coach Nick, tell us where we can we can get your work, all the all the different places again. Well, we are on YouTube at B-Ball Breakdown and Twitter are the two main places, both B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, always have a lot of fun on live-tweeting the games, so uh, don't miss that. And then we break down the games uh, as much as we can. And, don't, and stay tuned. We are going to be doing a Utah Jazz uh, breakdown of their defense. I feel remiss that we haven't spent too much time this year on them, so Jazz fans, uh, look forward to it in the next like, I don't know, week or 10 days. All right. Well, we are. Thanks so much, Coach Nick, for joining us. Uh, yeah, we, we really do appreciate it. All right. Well, we're going to take it. a, we're going to go ahead and take a break. But on the other side of that, we're going to talk uh, about the Jazz's standings and kind of how many top 50 players they have. You know, I, I think the Jazz have a good core, but we're going to talk about whether or not they need to build by getting another top 50 player or building around that by adding more to the bench units, et cetera. So that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Just a quick score update. The Miami Heat are leading your Chicago Bulls. Just kidding. Not your Chicago Bulls. Uh, 56-49 right now. Locally, that is not the right way to refer to (laughs) No, it is not. Um, Third quarter, four and a half minutes left. All right, so I want to get into this a little bit because I think it's an interesting topic. I I I tweeted about it yesterday, and I think it's interesting that the Jazz have been... So, I mean, they've been successful over the last 20 games, yes, but they haven't been successful overall, despite having three top 50 players. And I'll, and I'll kind of give you an idea of how unique that is. They're actually the only team with a, a record above 45%, a, a winning percentage above 45%, that has top three players. And, and this is by pretty much any, I guess, overall metric. I was going to so like ask which metric you were PR, using. Um, real plus minus, um, Wind shares, you know, you kind of look at any of these and it's Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert are top 50 NBA players. Um, 
but the problem is is that they don't have very many top 150 players supporting that's kind of, they don't have any supporting cast right so you've got those three great players that are doing really excellent things at really excellent work but then you look at the players around them and you know Dante Exum's really terrible at this point of his in the NBA career at least offensively, offensively. Yeah. um Shooting guard, they've been really inconsistent since Alec Burks went out. You know, starting guys like Joe Ingles um, until recently. With, until recently, with Rodney, Rodney Hood's been good, but has also been kind of filling in at the three spot with Gordon Hayward out. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of not great play there. It's, Trevor Booker is probably not a top 150 player. He'd be the one that I think would be closest right now of the remaining Jazz players. Yeah. He'd be right on the cusp, probably. But really, I mean, if if you're honest with yourself, the Jazz have those three guys and then no one else who's above average. A fairly large drop-off after those three guys. You're right. Now, I think that going forward, the hope, at least, is that both Hood and especially Exum will reach that level. I mean, you drafted Dante Exum fifth right. overall. You assume that he will hopefully be one of the 50 best players in the league at some point during his career. And if not, then it's it wasn't the greatest draft pick in the world. But the others that I wonder about, I guess I see it as pretty unlikely that, that too many other guys currently, at least on the Jazz roster, could make could become that maybe Alec Burks if he comes back really well from injury next year really improves his defense away from the ball really improves his selectivity offensively none of which I think are impossible especially under a coach who has done a really good job developing players so far but all of those things happening is maybe slightly unlikely if not <laughs> I was very saying, unlikely yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think one or two of those is out of the question, but you know, for all of those to happen to a, a fifth-year player would be, yeah, right. Uh, and then Trey Burke, I don't see it. I'm, Trey Burke's not going to be a top fifty player. No, I, fr- I f- frankly, I think it'd be a he, real boon for the Jazz if he stays on the team and ever becomes <laughs> higher than that becomes a one a top one hundred and fifty player. He still wants to be an All Star when when you ask him. By the way, oh, of course he does. They, they, I mean, as we've said a million times on this show, there is no harder worker. There is no mature more. There is no more mature professional as far as the way he's handled his struggles. That that's the part that kind of makes it as sad as it is to see. Is that there? This isn't a guy who's failing because he's not trying, or because he's got the wrong attitude, or be- anything like that, or because he's selfish. None of that. He's just he's just having issues with the actual physical game on the court, <laughs> right? Which is which is a big deal. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and then so you kind of look at it as a talent deficit. I mean, so you, you kind of expect Rodney Hood maybe makes that leap into the top one hundred and fifty. So then you've got four, and then Dante Exum can maybe make that leap, but you still don't really have that much talent. And I think that's. Uh, something to keep in mind as you look at the Jazz's offseason is how do you get more players in that top 150 where you have a a capable bench and you have capable surrounding pieces to your three main Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert core guys? I mean, it's kind of a core three right now, wouldn't you agree? Not the core four of old? No, and it's, I mean, it's a different core. Like, Gobert wasn't even included in that original core Right, and has gone, Trey Burke's gone. Well, he's not gone, but he's not in the core, probably not in that central core discussion anymore. And we, after the break, we're going to have a conversation about uh, a Zach Lowe piece that was written this last week about the some potential trade targets for the Jazz over the offseason. That's something to look at, potentially. I also personally think that free agency might be the way to go. Of course, the difference between free agency and trades naturally is that when you trade for a player, you definitely have that player, whereas in free agency, there's no guarantee whatsoever that you're going to get a player. No, but there are enough free agents this season, this offseason, where you could, you know, 
go after five of them and probably get one of them. Yeah, and I, I have several that would be targets that I would have in mind that I think could even potentially work better than certain trades the Jazz might make with the added luxury of you're not sending out any assets. Yeah, you don't have to give away anything in, yeah. in a free agency deal. So let me ask then, if you're looking towards this offseason, are you looking to try to get a top 50 player? Are you looking towards getting trying to get or trade for like a, a Ty Lawson or a, I don't know, a Draymond Green or, you know, someone like that? Or are you trying to bolster your bench? Are you trying to get those top 150 players? Uh, I would personally be on the, the former of those options because I think that then you don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that, as I think some have suggested with certain trades, is that you'd have to, you'd have to just either then retrade or just completely shelve other guys. Like, let's say, let's say, for example, my favorite, I think my favorite overall free agency target would be Danny Green. Okay. From San Antonio, and I think the Jazz may have their eye on him as well. He knows both Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay from his time in San Antonio, yep. um, and he would be perfect, literally a perfect fit for this team and what they try and do uh, on both ends of the floor. Excellent defender, hits a ridiculous percentage from three. Um, if the Jazz, let's say, were to be able to, if he was interested and they were able to get to a number that fit within their cap and that he was willing to come for and everything like that, some might assume then that, oh, you know, what does that say about Alec Burks? What does, you know, what does that say about Rodney Hood? I don't think that necessarily means that those guys can't still be on your team. I think it just means that maybe, they're first of all, they might have a little more competition. They might have to work a little harder to get their minutes. And second of all, let's say Alec Burks then became a, a bench guy at that point. Then you've got an overqualified bench player playing. And if you can fit all that within your cap, which, again, is a prerequisite to signing green in the first place, then why not? Why not have better players yeah. on the bench than your opponents have? I mean, the Warriors are a little bit of a model there where they have both Andre Iguodala and David Lee, who are mm-hmm. big money guys, coming off the bench exactly. because, quite frankly, they don't deserve to start. And, yeah. and they're, they're key pl- players for how successful they've been. But that being said, they, they definitely are helping the Warriors play well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I think that's kind of the model. There's there's no such thing as too much talent. Exactly. And especially if it all fits under your cap. But we're gonna continue this after the break. Agreed. Right? All right. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, more of this, more jazz offseason talk next on the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN seven hundred. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN seven hundred. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Ben Dowsett over here joining me as always. We are the never has technical difficulties. No, we, yeah. we are excellent. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to continue this conversation a little bit. Um, by the way, you can always jump in, and, and this is definitely one that fans are super interested in, so I want to give us the give out the Twitter handles again. You can always tweet me at Andy B. Larson. Uh, you can always tweet at Ben underscore Dowsett. Uh, Lauren Rose Spencer, our, our intern here at ESPN 700, also may be joining into the conversation, so just watch out. If you hear a girl's voice, it's not mine. Let's put it that way. It could be um, mine, but it's, pro- <laughs> but it's probably Lauren's. My voice only cracks like once or twice a week. Something it, like it's that. a rare occurrence. I'll give them the phone number, too, in case Oh, yeah, or you can always call in. So it's 877-353-0700. Um, yeah, so... Let, let's talk about that a little bit. And um, in particular, what Zach Lowe did an article this week on kind of the dilemma that the Jazz have right now. So as we talked about earlier in the show, the Jazz are currently slated to draft about 12th. Um, Could be as high as 9th. Anywhere from 9th to 12th is where it will end up. Right. So And, and that's guaranteed. 
Um, I guess there's a chance that they, they could still go below Phoenix, but it's a very it's like a one percent. And then of course there's the, and then there's the chance beyond that that they get very lucky and draft drop into the top three, yeah. which would of course be like a massive thing for the franchise. But we're just <laughs> it's unlikely, so we're not. That'd gonna, be so amazing. Uh, anyway, um, so you know you're drafting somewhere in between there. That's probably not going to be a player who helps you win right away. So you I have do this think option. There are exceptions to that, first of all, but that's not part of this discussion. Okay. So I'm just like. But you may you you have the choice at least. Let's put it that way. Right. Of trading that nine through twelve pick, and getting someone a an established role player in return. And so Zach Lowe went through some of the names, and I and I want to kind of break them down with you and talk about how likely they are in your mind, and you know whether or not they'd be worth trading this pick for. Yeah, absolutely. So the first one they mentioned was Avery Bradley. Um, Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics. He's, um, you know, not, he's a great defender. Danny Ainge loves him in Boston, but he's not really, he's not a shooter. I'm not sure how well he would fit in with the Jazz's offense. Would you trade that? You know, most likely it's going to be number 12 at this point. Would you trade the number 12 pick for Avery Bradley? I actually probably would. I'm huge on Avery Bradley. I really like him, and I think that he ha- I've I've watched a lot of his stroke, and I do think he ha- still has the... I think some of the shooting there has just been situations like they've, they've he's asked to shoot in situations where he really probably shouldn't be shooting hmm. over there, which I don't think you'd have him in with the Jazz. What are his... What have his, his, his three-point numbers been? I'm just trying to look those yeah, up. Yeah, go ahead and really look them quickly. up, because I, I mean, I don't know them off the top now, of my head. Now, th- what I think is that it would take more than that to get Boston to trade him. He's on an extremely team-friendly contract. He, I mean, the guy shot 39% from three last year. He's shooting 35 and a half this year, so a little bit of a drop. And what last is he year, overall? Uh, first career, he's 36, which is No, I mean, not for a, oh, from three-point overall. Just a, Field goal percentage? Yeah. Um, his field goal percentage career is 43.5%. Okay, so, so not, not good, great. but like significantly better than Trey Burke, Dante Exum, Joe Ingles, Rodney yeah. Hood. And this is period. a guy who absolutely will bolster your wing defense um, and is on a team-friendly contract, not more than 8.8. 8.8 million is the highest year, which is 2017-18, which is when you'd have him till. There's no player options on that, no goofy outs. You would just have him for the next three years if you got him right now. I don't. If I was Boston, I don't. Especially given the fact that they have a million other picks lined up in that stockpile, I don't think I would trade Avery Bradley for just the 12th pick. I I think I'd ask for. I'd be asking for Rodney Hood or somebody. And if I'm the Jazz, I wouldn't send Rodney Hood and the 12th pick for Avery Bradley. So then, do you do two first round picks? Do you do the 12th plus, say, the Golden State one, or plus the Oklahoma City one coming up two years from now? I think if 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 Boston would take that deal, I think I would do that if I were the Jazz. But again, okay. I actually I don't think Boston would want to trade Avery Bradley unless they were bringing back. Uh, a right now player where uh, where I think Rodney Hood stretches that or maybe if if and only if they liked Alec Burks maybe they would would bring Burks back in a deal like that other than that I don't know that I'd do it if I was if I was Boston because I I'm I'm really big on Avery Bradley I think he's great okay so let's uh, let's go to his next option uh Harrison Barnes another uh, obviously playing for the Warriors right now um young player so he fits in that way um first of all do you think there's any chance the Warriors trade him I I don't think so no um and then secondly would you trade that 12th pick for Harrison Barnes? I would I absolutely would but I don't think there's any again I don't think there's too much chance that Golden State does that again unless you were willing to include more pieces on each side and potentially get give them a right now player as Would well. Would you do Harrison Barnes and David Lee for the 12th pick? So you're taking on David Lee's final year, which is a lot of money that kind of ends your free agency bid, but you, you know, you kind of add two good players. 
I'm so against <laughs> the whole idea of bringing David Lee here. I'm just so against it. Uh, does that even fit? Do we even check if that would fit? No. So they'd have to do. They'd have to like waive Trevor Booker and include Trevor Booker in the. Uh, you know, you'd it, have to do Trevor with, Booker with plus the, some non guaranteed guys. With the increased knowledge that you would also be losing Booker in that type of deal, no, I don't think I'd do it. Okay. Honestly, I'm, I I don't like David Lee. I don't think he fits into anything close to what the Jazz are trying to do. And I like Booker. Unless you bring in a clear upgrade to him at third big, I like Booker as your third big. Okay. So let's do Ty Lawson, who is the next person. As as Zach Lowe wrote. Now we're talking. Yeah. I think, now we're talking Ty Lawson. Yeah. And Zach's point, which, by the way, I, I just I think we should address just super quickly, is that a, the point guard might be the position where the Jazz end up making one of these trades. Now, this has been a topic of much heated debate on Twitter since this article, occasionally involving myself. Which, and in real life. I mean, yeah, me yeah. and Tony Jones have literally traded punches over this. Li- wait, what? Literally? No, just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say. No, and Tony's one of the people I would lose. I've, I've debated with Tony on, on Twitter about this as well. And Tony's opinion, which I don't think is necessarily wrong in any sense, is and this is something also that Tony Tony has his sources on this as well within the within the Jazz front office is that the Jazz want Dante Exum to be their point guard of the future and that they don't intend to make any moves that are going to uh, dampen the chances of that happening or to to lessen his development in right. any way. My point, which however, by the way is the exact opposite of what the Jazz have done for the last four years before now, right? I mean, by having the Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap yeah. over uh, Derek Favors and Ennis Cantor, and you know, anyway, that has been a big deal in jazz land and now all of a sudden it sounds like the front office which admittedly is a new front office uh wants to give playing time to the young people no matter what absolutely young players now here's the thing though i don't i think it's a misconception to some point that bringing in someone like a ty lawson or a couple of the guys we're going to mention here in a second who i'm actually a potentially a bigger fan of than ty lawson I don't think that bringing one of those guys in necessarily means you're stunting Dante Exum's development. I do think there's a chance if you bring one of those guys in that you have to include Trey Burke in the trade, which, yep. I, I, in fact, I think there's a very good chance of that, which, A, might make the trade a little harder because you have to find a team that wants Trey Burke, which might not be a huge <laughs> list right now, unfortunately. Ouch. But, again, I just don't think that making that sort of a move necessarily precludes you from still giving Dante a lot of minutes next year. 28 minutes a game plus, you can still get him quite easily. The guy can play time at two. I think you need to actually develop him at two just because you're you're not always going to have he's not going to be the only point guard on the team even a, let's right. even just say in a hypothetical that you know Trey Burke does stay on the team and becomes uh, good enough to be a legitimate six man or a legitimate bench point guard there are going to be times where you want to play those guys together and when you do Dante Exum is going to be the guy playing two there are going to be situations where Dante Exum is going to have to play the two in his career and I don't think developing him there is any sort of a stunt or any sort of a negative towards his process. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. I think you can trade for a point guard without totally ruining what you're trying to do with Dante, who, by the way, will turn 20 like three weeks before the season starts next year. I agree. No, I I mean, I think, look... Trey Burke has had 30 minutes per game this season and has 27 minutes per game since the All-Star break. So, like, this is this is really, you know, he has plenty of time to play. If you replace Trey Burke's minutes with Ty Lawson's minutes, this team is, like, six or seven wins better. I, th- I think that's pretty realistic. Real quick, before we continue, Lauren is in here in the studio with us and, and has <laughs> a right. question. What's your question? Well, you had just proposed, uh, I guess, giving uh, Trey Burke more minutes and also Dante Exum, but mm. I was just wondering the... The games where they have played together on the court, what has been your observation of that? 
Um, I, I think the, the fit has been imperfect, but I think a lot of that is just because at this moment, neither is a productive NBA player. Um, it, it, Trey Burke is, has, has a tendency to unfortunately kind of uh, be catastrophic for the Jazz's <laughs> offense at times and their defense at times. Um, Dante is, is so unbelievably timid most of the time on offense that he's it's hard for him to really initiate things and get much going. I like this description that I read on Facebook the other day. Dante Axon plays offense like a lost kid at Walmart. <laughs> I just, I just mean, wanted to it's mean, use but it. it's probably kind of true. At the <laughs> I moment. just wanted to use that. That's yeah. all. No, that's that's solid. And to, and to, to answer your question, Lauren, I think uh, I don't think the fit with Exum and a league average point guard say where Exum is the two. I don't think that's going to be a bad fit going forward. I think if you bring in a Ty Lawson or a George Hill or a Drew Holiday, like we're going to talk about here in a second, I think if you bring in one of those guys, I think absolutely you can play big minutes with the, with that guy at the point and Dante Exum. And I, the other thing is that I think the Jazz's this is something that Quinn Snyder said frequently, the, the actual point guard position itself is less important as a specific designation for the Jazz than it is for a number of other teams because of the style of offense they're trying to play and mm -hmm. because of who Gordon Hayward is. And because Gordon Hayward, as Zach Lowe mentioned in his piece, is a ball, not like a James Harden ball-dominant wing, but still a ball-dominant wing, a guy who can function almost as a de facto point guard like we see him do near the end of games. I think because of all those things... Just the, the whole assumption that you can't bring in another lead ball handler point guard type that he that that person is going to stunt Exum so badly. I think that's a, a bit of a misconception personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, too. So long as Exum still gets those same, you know, maybe sub starter minutes, as I, I would put it, you know, 25, 28 minutes a game. I think that's a great mix between letting him do his thing, letting him develop. Um, but still not turning the keys over to the Jazz's success or failure next season. Yeah, and real um, quick, real quick, Clint Peterson on Twitter let me know. I, I was a little off on Dante's birthday. It's in the middle of July, July 13th, which is only two days after mine. What up, Dante? <laughs> um, and, but so that means he, he'll, turn, sorry, he'll, turn, he'll turn 20. I, I said he'll turn 20 like a few weeks before the season. He'll turn 20 a few months before the season, which does, it makes a difference. But um, so, yeah, so let's move on yeah. to George Hill, who is the next point guard, um, who Zach Lowe mentioned in this. And uh, first of all, a couple questions. One, would you, would you trade the 12th pick for either of those guys straight up? Oh, and yeah. two, oh, yes, yes, just definitely. Oh, absolutely. A and then two, which would you rather have, Ty Lawson or, or George Hill? George Hill. Why? Definitely. Um, I'm a big fan of what George Hill has been doing this year. As Zach notes himself within his piece, Hill has a ton of experience playing next to an all-star wing like Gordon Hayward. Man, he's done so with Paul George, somebody yeah, there are a lot of, likes to talk about with alongside Yeah, Gordon there are Hayward, a lot of comparisons Because they were there. drafted right next to each other in that whole thing. Um, he's a good shooter. He knows how he can be ball dominant when he needs to. And frankly, he's having by far his best year in the league right now. Um, he's played really, really well for Indiana this year. He was, he was hurt at the start of the year, which kind of has him a little under the radar as far as how well he's played. But he has been absolutely great. I think he would fit in perfectly for the type of offensive system that the Jazz run. And just like Exum, he's big enough that he can defend probably more than one position um, for the Jazz. I think I'm 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 not getting that wrong, right? He's like six four. I think he's six he? two. Oh well, if I'm off on that, then I'm a little bit off. But again, the whole boon yeah, of six two. The, the whole boon of bringing in a guy like that alongside a guy like Exum is that Exum can defend those twos if they're playing on the floor together. Mm -hmm. Plus, the Jazz have Burks and the Jazz have Hood, and the, and they they have guys like that for the future. I would love the fit of George Hill. Frankly, I think it would take significantly more than the twelfth pick to get him out of Indiana. Yeah, I mean. I, I think it would too. Then 
would Indiana do the 12 plus Trey Burke plus, you know, again, maybe you throw in one of those first, maybe you throw in a couple seconds. I think they might ask for Hood. And they probably would ask for Hood, and that's why you have negotiations. Remember when you were doing trade deadline negotiations and mm-hmm. you wanted to give away the, the whole farm? You were like, I'm going to give away Rodney Hood. I'm going to give away Alec Burks in our negotiations. I'm Wait, just Clint Peterson and I have the same birthday. <laughs> I just found that out from Twitter. What's up, Clint? 7-Eleven uh, all the way. Do you go get free large Slurpees at uh, 7-Eleven on that day? Because I do. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> d- distracting from the point, but that's cool. Um, I, I think that... Here, okay, I'll just ask you: do, Would you trade the twelve and Rodney Hood for for George Hill? That would, for me, that no. would be a legitimately tough Maybe. question. Yeah, probably not th- with Dante Axum and Trey Burke. No, I don't think I would. Yeah, um, I would say no. Would you? I'm trying to think of the 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 other immediate asset. I mean, well, I would I would almost if it was me, I would almost certainly send the twelve Trey Burke and uh, one of those future first round picks that we have. I would almost certainly send yeah for George Hill, especially because Golden State's not going to be good. You know, they're or they're going to be great, their so their pick is not going to be good. Yeah. Uh, and Oklahoma City is probably going to not be a great pick either. I mean, it's lottery protected. Uh, it's not going to be a good pick either. So you know, maybe you give up a late first later on down the road and and acquire some talent for next season. I th- I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you know, Hill is under contract through. 16 17 so you'd have him for two full years again team friendly eight million a year and at that point i really think this is a guy that's played in a small market his whole career he's got no doesn't seem to be egotistical or have any delusions of grandeur as far as needing to play in some huge market or needing to be some mega international star or anything like that i think if you put together a great foundation and it really works with him and exum and he's willing to go into a role where he's like okay i might not even start by you know a few years once Exum is hopefully the star that we hope he might be, I think this is a that's the type of player you might absolutely be able to convince to stick around, which I think is a potentially big deal for down the road. If you're and if not, then when he's gone, Exum is hopefully ready to step. In and the in two years, he's 31, so maybe you're not that worried about his post 30 contract future. Exactly. Um, I would also point out that uh, I forgot my point. You, you, you'd like to point out that you forgot your point. I would like to point out that I would I forgot my point and okay. I'm I'm all right. So bad. which one do we want to look at now? Toronto. Yeah. So Toronto has a bunch of different players um, that Zach Lowe mentioned, and, and basically I don't think any of them are great fits. Uh, Kyle Lowry, their point guard, is you know one of the best players in the East. You probably a top five player in the East. Uh, then you've got Terrence Ross, who I, I'm going to be honest, the Jazz just don't like at all. No, and I wouldn't. Um, I, I don't like. Him or either. Demar Derozan, and no, I don't like doesn't really fit into the Jazz's offensive system. Nope. I mean, I think there's kind of like a value fit there, where like they may be interested in that sort of pick, um, but I don't think there's a player fit. If that no, makes sense. I mean Patrick Patterson is a guy that I do like from the Raptors, but he's not worth the 12th pick. He's he's not worth the pick that the Jazz are going to have. I mean, if we wanted to talk about a smaller type of deal, would he be Jazz- a free agent next season? Anyway, Patrick Patterson. Um, I would have to check that. So hold on, let me check. Okay. It, assuming that he wouldn't, which I feel, I think he has one more year left after this, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm I'm looking that up as we speak. Patrick Patterson. No, two more years actually after okay. this year. At, right, at roughly six million a year, which you know he's a guy who. Uh, he, sh- I think he shoots. If I, if I'm, my math is right off the top of my head, he's a little bit of a better three point shooter than someone like Booker, who only expanded his range to three this year. Right. Um. Whereas Patterson's been doing it for a few years, and there's a bit longer of a track record there. He's a solid defense, not a good, not an above average defender, but he's not below average either. I don't think. And, but again, you wouldn't send the twelve for him if there was a smaller deal to be made there. I would consider it, but I, I wouldn't send the twelve. For I also him. think for that sort of player, the Jazz need someone who can play both four and five. 
drive. Yeah, I don't know if Patterson can't. No way. Um, and so you know, even if there, you bring over Tomic, you still have then you still have either Booker or Patterson. You know, I I don't know if it's worth giving up that twelve pick. No. Um, so I I agree with you to kind of dismiss that. I thought his Pelicans thing was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two players there though were Drew Holiday, their starting point guard, and Ryan Anderson, who's just fantastic stretch four for them, at least offensively. Defensively, he's been a nightmare. Um, uh, what do you think about those guys? I mean, I I like conceptually the fit of Drew Holiday I in really a like jazz it. uniform a lot. I mean, he's six four, he's long, uh, pretty good defensively, does some really nice things offensively. You know, he's not a superstar level player, but he could bail you out of situations in in a way that none of the Jazz's current point guards can. Um, is is on a pretty good contract moving forward. I, I mean, I think Drew would make a lot of sense. Absolutely, I, I might like him the mo- as Zach Zach likes him the most of any of the suggestions he made. It would be close for me between Hill and Holiday as the guy that I liked the most there. Um, two more years that they'd have they'd have him for the, for next season and the year after at basically the same money as Alec Burks. Um, this is a guy who, if you look at numbers uh, from Synergy Sports that classify by play type, essentially, is excellent in the pick and roll, both as far as his own offense and as far as the offense he generates through his passes to other players, which is obviously that's a massive, massive deal for the Jazz, right? Is you have to you have to be able to run the pick and roll and you have to be able to set up other guys out of the pick and roll and not just get your own offense. Um, he's a career 37.5% three-point shooter, which is quite good. Um, he frankly has never played on a team that has a defense anywhere near as good as the Jazz which I think you know I think you'd call him at least a slightly above average defender anyway or maybe around average probably which yeah. I think could be could absolutely be magnified to a certain point playing with the type of defensive culture the Jazz have 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 carved for themselves over the last few months he's just like another nice long piece that that doesn't kind of prevent present the problems that Trey Burke does right now in terms of fitting him mm-hmm. into a defense you can basically have him and Dante Exum play the same way because they are so long because they are so tall and again it's guys you who can, can switch play one through four and you can play them together now okay so let's let's get into the nitty-gritty then what kind of an offer do you think it takes to get Drew Holiday out out of uh, and my biggest thing with any with both Hill or Holiday is can you do it without trading Hood? Because I think that Hood is the biggest sort of right now piece that the Jazz have as far as both a young talent plus someone who is who's clearly ready to produce as an NBA player right now. I think there are go, there's going to be interest in him in these potential deals. Can you do a Drew Holiday deal without including him? Yeah, I mean. I think I think you can um, if you're giving up multiple picks. Uh, uh, yeah, multiple picks. I think that's something they look for. As as Zach Lowe points out, they're not really well proportioned right now, right? Um, they've given up their last three lottery picks for various players. It um, haven't worked out all that well. And yeah, and they, and it hasn't worked out all that well. Maybe they look at this year's draft as a way to get in. Uh, get more young talent it'll be really interesting because i i kind of doubt that both their coach and their front office lasts until the draft um that's a good point in that you know there i i I really do think that they're probably going to be making a change there at both the gm and coaching slot and so we don't really know who they're who we're dealing with as as a jazz organization um but 
it, it kind of depends then what that new, next new person wants to do. Do they want to start over and build around Anthony Davis and, and dump Holiday, dump Evans? I think they'd if the as Zach suggested, the idea would be that because Evans has actually had a resurgent year. He's been really nice this year. I wrote about him earlier in the season. I think the idea would be to hold on to him and trade Holiday and then rebuild around those two guys, mainly Davis, of course, who's yeah. going to be the best player in the league for the next decade. Real quick, uh, we do, I do have a tweet from Brett Mill saying I think you guys are slightly undervaluing draft picks. The ten to 11 or 10 to 12 is what I'm sure you meant to say in this year's draft has quite a bit of value now Brett I don't think we're disagreeing with that necessarily um I do as I mentioned earlier in this segment I think there are a couple players cough Frank Kaminsky cough who might potentially be uh assets that could not only be future assets but who could potentially contribute right away that said there is a certain point at which, as we've discussed on previous shows, that it's as as our Dan Clayton of Salt City Hoops likes to say frequently, there's a certain point at which you just can't keep adding more young talent. At a certain point, you have to cash in and move forward and look to be a winner now. And I think the progress the Jazz have made over the last three months of this season indicates that in many ways that time might be now. And again, yeah, I mean, you literally have a young player at every single exactly. rotation spot. And in some cases that, you know, too deep at certain spots. Right. And I if, think that the 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 timetable might and again none of this is certain we're not saying this as in this is what the jazz have to do there's i think there's at least a a good percentage chance that they don't trade their pick this year they pick a player like a kaminsky or somebody who could come in and make an impact right now at least off the bench i think that's a total possibility and i don't think the jazz themselves are going to undervalue that pick i don't think they're going to send it just for some bench player or something like that they're if they're sending that pick they're going to make it for a guy who can really add to what the jazz are doing uh, immediately i no, i agree um and actually just an, another tweet uh at bartle 2156 asked what do you guys think of the jazz drafting providence point guard shooting guard chris dunn um uh, he's currently slotted to go i believe it's 14th in draft express's mock he looks draft interesting um he looks interesting but then the jazz have three young point guards mm-hmm. um and, and you're not sure any of them are going to develop and there's no way to get all three of them time and, you know, it, it's just kind of a mess from that point of view. If you could instead trade that pick for someone who can actually use those minutes, can help the Jazz win next season, I think that would make a lot of sense. And I actually, if you're going to be drafting a ball handler type of player and or a wing sort in that range, I, there's a, one or two guys I prefer, notably uh, Karis Levert, if he does come out um, from Michigan. Hmm. He's been hurt a lot of the year, but his upside is ridiculous. And a few people that watch way more college than me have told me this is one of those sleeper guys who people aren't going to talk about enough before the draft and who's going to be legitimately good in the NBA. So he's a guy I'd look at. Trust there. Ben's friends. Trust my friends. They're, I have smart <laughs> friends. They're way smarter than me. So. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to go around the NBA talking about Chris Copeland, Tabo Cephalosha, Pero on Teach. There was a lot of drama with that nightclub situation. What in the and world? Then, yeah. And then we'll also go and, and talk about what's going on in the NBA standings, who's going to make the playoffs, what those situations are looking like, who's going to be in the NBA next year. So much more to talk about. All that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. We've got a lot to talk about and around the NBA, so let's get right to it. The the first and, and biggest and weirdest story maybe of the entire season of in around the NBA is this whole Chris Copeland, Tabo Cephalosha thing. So it's crazy. quick breakdown. Uh Wednesday night, these guys... Early, early Thursday morning, I think, technically, or something. I don't know. Whatever. I, it was No, I guess it was early Wednesday morning, oh, Tuesday right. night. Okay, cool. 
Um, 4 a.m. Thank you. Uh, they're at the One Oak Club in New York City. Um, Atlanta's players have just flown there because they have a game against the Knicks the next night. Um, and the Pacers players are still there because they played the Knicks the previous day. They go to the One Oak nightclub, and everyone's having a great time. At I don't three. think they were together. Was the report that that's that true? Okay, Copeland Sorry. was not. Copeland and his people were not with. Okay, so but yeah. they're having a great time in the same room. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Um. And so Chris Copeland gets in a uh some sort of verbal altercation with somebody at the club, and that is never a good phrase you want to hear because that means you're getting stabbed, um, <laughs> as Chris Copeland and his girlfriend did. Now, Tabo Seflosha and Pero Antic, who are both there, both the Atlanta Hawks players, are apparently there uh, allegedly saying that they were protecting um, Chris Copeland's and the whole stabbing thing from, from being on video, from kind of the paparazzi, from kind of the cameras watching what's happening. They kind of want to block it, and you know those are big men. They're particularly well-suited to do so. Now... They, the cops come to deal with the stabbing, makes sense, and they want to clear the area. Apparently, Tabo Cephalosha and Antich did not want to leave the area. They were booked for resisting arrest. There is a video from TMZ today that shows these four cops slamming Tabo Cephalosha into the car. Um, somehow in all this, Cephalosha has a broken ankle and is out for the rest of the season. I think torn ligaments as well. Inclu- yeah, and torn ligaments. So this is like a big deal. Very um, big deal, especially with the current climate in our country regarding police and them taking uh, over overextended measures to do things. Because, yeah. And I, I think that there's a bit of a point to that because sh- now, as with, unfortunately, most of these TMZ videos, you don't see what happened 30 seconds prior. You don't see if maybe Cephalosha uh, threw a punch or did something ridiculous but truthfully this isn't a guy who has any history of being crazy or ridiculous in any way this isn't it it doesn't appear intoxicated or anything i don't know maybe he was but there's very few things that you can think of that are realistic that he could have done before that to truly justify being choke slammed to the ground by four police officers in an, an incident that is going to keep him out of Atlanta's playoff run for this year. Yeah. I have never cared more about the police. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's a terrible thing to say. Yeah. It has to deal with basketball now, though. I'm, a, I'm offended. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, I think this this is a big deal. And I, I think it's it's interesting that now it is intersecting with, with NBA culture. Um, Antich, is, you know, they're both, um, both Antich and Cephalosha were arrested and then released yesterday. Uh, Chris Copeland is still in the hospital from his stab wounds Although and will take multiple stable, weeks which is good. to recover, but yeah. is stable, you know, is, is going to live, but he, he got stabbed in the diaphragm. He's, he's out for the rest of the year. This one seems to um, me like the type of story that is going to gain more steam as time goes on. Yeah, along. you're right. As we learn more details, as we figure out what actually happened, you know, what did Cephalo should do? How did he break that leg? You know, it's not clear if he broke it before or after this con- this confrontation with the police. Because, I mean, if the police broke Tabo Cephalosha's leg, he absolutely has a, a, a ton of reason to, you know, file a lawsuit and et cetera, et cetera. Especially if he didn't do anything really, really egregious to deserve that. Right. Um, yeah. And you're absolutely right about it being in this context of uh, the Walter Scott shooting yesterday or I guess earlier this week yep. um, where where videos are coming out of, of, of police being too... 
over the top in how they react to these sort of incidents. And it's been a thing for at least a year now that this is this is a big uh, issue in our, in our current political climate, p- political and social climate. Well, and, and we've also seen NBA players get involved even before NBA players were yep. actually involved in the incidents. I mean, we, we've seen the I Can't Breathe t-shirts worn by Cleveland Cavaliers players earlier this season and indeed players around the NBA. Right. Um, so I, I feel like you're right that this is going to be a big issue in the NBA moving forward is is players continuing to speak up about this. Uh, Rudy Gobert had a tweet today just kind of flabbergasted yep. that that Tabo was hurt in this way by the cops. Um, by the way, the injury, uh, uh, thank you, Clint, has been, broken ankle has been updated to broken tibia and torn ligament. Okay. So bad, definitely bad, and definitely that'll leave a mark, and it's definitely going to keep him out for the rest of the year. So I think we need to keep an eye on this one. We may have some things to say about it next week as well. Yeah, uh, how do you think it impacts basketball? I mean, because obviously Chris Copeland's on, on the Pacers team trying to make the playoffs. Tabo Cephalosha is a big part of Atlanta's rotation as they try to make the NBA Finals as the number one seed in the East. Uh, I, I mean, Antic is a big part of their rotation, although is is healthy. I think Cephalosha hurts a little more than Antic, especially because Antic is not for sure going to be out unless it turns out he egregiously did something wrong and is suspended for that. He's going right. to be playing. Uh, Cephalo- this is going to put a lot more pressure on, um, on Kent Bazemore and more importantly on Damari Carroll defensively, assuming that maybe they make the conference finals and play the Cavaliers with a LeBron type. Cephalosha was going to be one of the, the key guys to try and guard LeBron in one of those series. And this this could have a legitimate impact on the floor. Yeah, and now Damari Carroll is out there playing 38 minutes a night trying to guard LeBron. Yep. Um, you know, he's a good defender, but he's not as good of a defender, at least one-on-one, as Tabo Cephalosha is. No, definitely not. And and either way, even if that you lose, essentially, one more body there that can defend, essentially, one of the best players in the league, one of the best players ever, and that's that's a big deal in a series where, as we know, in the playoffs, things get a little more spe- nuanced and specific matchup related. Yeah, ag- agreed. Uh, let's move on to the standings now. Yes. So, uh, really interesting playoff race right now in the Western Conference and in Eastern Conference. As of last night, your your playoff matchups would be Golden State, New Orleans, uh, Memphis, and Dallas would face off. The Houston Rockets and San Antonio Spurs would do a Texas series. That'd be fun. And Portland Clippers, which would also be another fun one, uh, another West Coast series between those two teams. That'd be that'd be a good time as well. In the Eastern Conference, Atlanta, Brooklyn is your current matchup. Uh, then Cleveland. Boston with the two and seven seeds, Toronto, Milwaukee, three and six, and Chicago, Washington, four and five. Your thoughts? Um, I think in the West that the biggest thing for those teams in that middle is avoid San Antonio. I think nobody, which is obvious, the Spurs are absolutely dominating fools. They're looking like last year. <laughs> they're looking like last year's finals team or, you know, a, a slightly watered down version of it. Nobody wants to play the Spurs in the first round. Have As, it, they've won something like 22 straight games in which, or sorry, not they haven't won 22 straight games, but they've had 22 straight games in which they've had a double digit lead. Something insane like that. They're playing absolutely out of this world. You just, every single year, man, you just, you can't say enough about how Pop manages to get this group up for playing at their best at exactly the right time as far as the east i find it really hard to imagine that we're going to have any super compelling series until the conference finals like do it, <laughs> exactly like who do you chicago washington's nice chicago washington could be fun but i mean do you i mean do you see there a, a chance of there being any team that makes the conference final between those besides those two uh barring, barring a major injury no 
Neither do I. So I uh, I do think it'd be interesting if Indiana managed to make the playoffs now that they have Paul George back. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see if they could maybe give someone some trouble. But their chances of getting to the seventh seed at this point are quite low, meaning they couldn't play Cleveland in the first round, which would make it even more interesting. Um, I'm I'm still excited for the playoffs, of course, but in the East, I don't see it being that interesting for the first couple of rounds, potentially. Agreed. Uh, Let's go. uh, I mean, I think the first round is going to be spectacular in the West, not so much in the East. Yeah. Maybe it'll be different. I mean, last year, Indiana and Atlanta went to seven games despite being the one and eight seed. Yeah. Uh, draft announcements are happening this week since since March Madness is now over. Seven Kentucky players announced today. That's Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Cauley-Stein, Trey Lyles, Devin Booker, Dakari Johnson, and the Harrison twins, Andrew and Aaron. Um, the Harris Eye. The Harris <laughs> That's brilliant. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Harris Eye, who I'm actively rooting against, by the way. I don't like the Harris Eye. You're not big on the Harris um, Eye? After, was no. it because of the thing that he said at the press conference? No, I'm just anti the Harris okay. Eye. I, just, I, I feel like they're, they're exactly the sort of players that I want to dislike. They're okay. like Austin Rivers types, right? Okay, fair enough. That's fair, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and, along with those guys, other names that have already declared... Um, Okafor, Winslow, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Kevin Looney, Kelly Oubre are in. Okay. Um, there was a report today that uh, Jakob Pertl uh, of the University of Utah was leaning to declare for the NBA draft. Do it. Uh, you, yeah, you have very strong feelings on this. Yeah, I, I can't go fully into them right now. If you do want to read my full thoughts, it was my most recent piece on Basketball Insiders, which I believe was Saturday of this past week. Guys in a position like Pertl's and even giving a little more leeway in that conversation if you're in that type of a position where you're like a late lottery pick type of thing and you're considering whether to stay or go, if the only consideration in your mind is monetary earning power, which of course there's plenty of guys that that's not the only consideration. Yeah, they want to get an education but or whatever. If, but if that's the only Knowledge. thing you're thinking about, which is the case for lots of us, there is almost no argument ever for them staying another year in school again we can't we have we have lol lakers to get to so i can't do my full <laughs> thing right now maybe we'll talk about it next week if we have a little bit more time it, read the piece if you're interested it's there's never almost never a, a, a real argument for them staying. i suspect we hear from Pirtle before next week oh uh, yeah um uh, couple other things I want to talk about. First of all, the Basketball Hall of Fame um, announced their inductions into the 2015 class. Hey, this I got year. in this time. No, you didn't. I'm just kidding. But a lot of people got in. You can visit the Hall of Fame if you'd like, Ben. Yeah. I was meaning that as a joke, as in they let lots of people into the oh, Basketball gotcha, Hall gotcha, of Fame. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Anyway, your Hall of Fame members are Dikembe Mutombo, Lisa Leslie, Dick Pavetta made it in his first year of eligibility. Nice. Uh, Jojo White, Spencer Haywood, finally, who has, who's been waiting to get into the Hall for a long time. Um, even John Calipari made the Basketball Hall of Fame class this 2015 year so you know maybe yeah we'll, we'll give you a couple years ben but sure you can okay. make the hall of fame soon probably get in exactly <laughs> poor to kembe mutumbo is it lol acres time no it's not oh sorry we've got another we've got a trip uh of quinn snyder for example is going to cuba um so these guys are doing this basketball without borders trip april 26th through the 30th um kind of taking advantage of cuba's newly open status to the western world uh so quinn snyder is going to be going at the end of this month along with steve nash the the aforementioned dikembe mutombo james borrego the current uh interim coach for the orlando magic and tisha uh tisha penachero from wmba superstar Okay, well, so that's cool. That is cool. I mean, it, it's kind of taking advantage of, again, Cuba's opening up to the West and, of course, teaching those guys basketball, which Absolutely. will be a lot of fun. All right, finally, it's time for LOL Lakers. Let's, let's play the music. Boom. So the Lakers, there is a couple bits of news in Lakers land. First of all, they did officially clinch the fourth seed in the lottery. I guess seed isn't the right term, but... Uh, they will be place. the fourth worst team, so, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
they still have a chance to fall out of that top five and not get their lottery pick. 17% chance. Hilarious. Uh, and that's what we're rooting for. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think there's any question. 100% rooting for that. But in other hilarious news, again, the segment called LOL Lakers, Byron Scott continues just to throw his players under the bus. Like literally every press conference he has. Just <laughs> hates his players so much. What it's, was the, what was the quote It's tremendously time? hilarious. The quote this time, I got a sense of a whole lot of people I wouldn't want to be in a foxhole with. I think they'd end up shooting me in the back. That's what a joke. <laughs> that's harsh. He told that's he told that to Mark Medina of the LA Daily News, who was also present when Byron answered my analytics question earlier this year in Utah <laughs> with a hilarious answer, which uh, we'll, we we won't go into at the moment. Uh, but quite frankly, uh, this guy is a clown. No offense to clowns everywhere, but um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, sorry about that. Wow. Um, uh, frankly, I think it was somebody on a pod. I think it was Zach Lowe earlier this week on a podcast basically said. If the Lakers, if he's not being intentionally told by the Lakers brass to call plays that are going to encourage their tanking effort, essentially, then he is the worst coach in the NBA, and it's not close. The, the, this guy, they're running isolations for Jordan Hill with like who 50 else do seconds. they have? I mean, they have Jordan Clarkson, who's kind a little of. bit better. First of all, uh, frankly, Carlos Boozer is better than Jordan <laughs> Hill right now, which is a painful thing to say, but it's true. Uh, the, the guy is very, very, very clueless about what's going on in the NBA right now. Sorry, guys, but the, the league has changed in the last like 15 years, and if you're unwilling to recognize that, you probably shouldn't be coaching in it. Uh, I don't go that far because he is he is legitimately on a talent. Uh, what's the opposite of talent laden? Talentless. Talentless. Thank you. Uh, and it's just, it's a bad situation, but he doesn't have to be like completely ruining the NBA careers of everyone who's on his team by A, coaching them poorly, and then, thank you, and then B, uh, just again, throwing them under the bus every single night. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. It's weird to me. It's yeah, remarkable. I, anyway. I would, if I was them and I wanted to actually make a run somewhere next year, he would not be my coach next year. But but I know that they're the Lakers, so he will be. <laughs> that's what makes it so great. And that's your LOL Lakers segment. Thanks so much to our producer, John LaFollette, by the way, for doing the music and, and the random clips of stuff, making LOL Lakers the best show on, best segment on radio oh, yeah. every week. I'm not sure that that's true, but it's my favorite one. It's the one that makes me happiest inside. Definitely. Thank you. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break before our final segment, looking at the Jazz's upcoming schedule, plus a little bit of fun happening in Jazzland. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. It's our final segment of the year, or not of the year, <laughs> but of the week. But it's our second to last show of the of the NBA season, right? And That's true. It's, it's a very sad time. Luckily, we have Rudy Gobert visiting zoos to make it all better. We do. Um, Rudy Gobert last week went to the Hogel Zoo up in, in Salt Lake City and uh, basically just stood next to other bigger animals and to see what the size difference was. See what the size difference was. So Giraffes I've got this picture were roughly of... the same size. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. I, um, I'm a man. Yes, he's a man. Um, taller than rhinoceroses, not as heavy. Um, and that's going to be on NBA Inside Stuff this upcoming weekend. So watch out for that. That'll be that'll be a fun segment. Didn't he have a longer wingspan than a gorilla? Or he something? did. Yeah. So the Hogel Zoo has this ridiculous board where you can measure your wingspan against a gorilla's wingspan. And of course, the point is you don't have as big of a wingspan as a gorilla does. Well, Rudy Gobert does. All right. <laughs> and he is. Yeah. Again, just kind of the point is Rudy Gobert is uh, awesome a, a in freak. every way. Yes, and awesome in every way. The best freak possible. 
Um, let's look at the jazz schedule before we kind of cry about how that the jazz season is is coming to an end. By the time Go. we're by the time we're on the air next year, the jazz season will have ended. So we've got four games next uh, left, all against playoff teams. First one tomorrow, Memphis Grizzlies. The Jazz have had some success against Memphis this, this year. Yeah, they beat them the last two times. Uh, Gobert gives all sorts of problems to Marcus All and to uh, although Zach Randolph missed the last one and he may, I think he may miss again tomorrow. Uh, and Tony Allen is going to be out tomorrow. And, and Mike Conley, I believe, is right. Is oh no, that's the one. So Randolph is playing, uh, and it was Conley yes. who's okay. questionable. Uh, Tony Allen appears to just be afraid of the Jazz because he gets hurt every time they play him. <laughs> Just kidding, Tony. I, um, anyway, um, and then Saturday. Jazz, to- uh, but I think Jazz have a real chance to win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then Saturday, yeah, as you point out, uh, Jazz are playing at Portland. Um, uh, again, I think that's a team that the Jazz mark up well against they now do. that they have the Rudy Gobert, LaMarcus Aldridge thing. Yeah, they do, although it was strange. Last game, or maybe not strange, but it, uh, Quinn decided to actually have favors on him for a number of, uh, of possessions last game, uh, especially in the first quarter, which I thought was interesting considering how well Gobert did against him the game before that. But to be fair, the Jazz won that game by, what was it, 15 points? Wait, wasn't the last Portland game the one they lost where they went with uh, uh, Wright and, at the four? The oh, you're right. I apologize. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so I was thinking of the one before that. So. Right. Anyway. So we'll see how the Jazz adjusts to that if Portland tries to do that same thing again. I'm actually interested in that. Yeah, that that's something that we've both talked to Quinn a lot about is mm-hmm. how do you deal with that sort of situation. Uh, and uh, I think they've worked on it. I think they've come up with a plan. It's definitely something that uh, Terry Stotts will use because it was so successful in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. in the last matchup. Mm-hmm. Then Monday at home against Dallas, that's your final home. or Yeah, it is your yeah, final home final game of home the season. Game. Uh, At least if there's going to be a final home game, I can see and potentially talk to Dirk. Yeah, no, th- and that'll be good. That's uh, your goal. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. On the other hand, I don't think Dallas is a good matchup for the Jazz. I think there's a reason they've obliterated them in, in the first Although Dallas was playing a lot better at that point than That's they are true. now. And again, with the whole Gobert thing, with Gobert being one of the few people that I think can check Dirk individually or at least approximate checking Dirk individually, I think it could be an interesting game. Although Monte Ellis just gives the Jazz fits, so we'll see what happens there. And then Wednesday, Jazz take on the Rockets in the final game of the season in Houston. What do you think? Uh, I actually think Houston is a worse matchup for the Jazz than Dallas, and that if Houston has anything whatsoever to play for, which I think it looks likely that they may, because this I think these with these Western Conference seeds are going to come down to the final game. I think there's a chance the Jazz kind of get obliterated, and that especially because you know it, it doesn't make them unprofessional to say this when you're playing your last game of the season and you are not in the playoffs, you can see the beach in your in your head. <laughs> well and there's the just a big difference between the rockets fighting for their playoff seed lives exactly. versus the jazz not yeah and you know and the jazz make it as we were talking about earlier they may be continuing to limit hayward's minutes they may not overtax him they may they may not overtax favors as well shoot they may not overtax gobert um we, we may see i don't i would definitely pick so Houston. yeah so given that what do you see the jazz doing over these last four games i still don't think better than one and three is too real they could i guess go two and two but again all of these teams have stuff to play for right now mm-hmm. and the jazz just don't have anything I, and i think memphis is a, is a potential win because especially if they're missing conley you could see the jazz winning that game yeah I, i'm gonna go two and two i think they win tomorrow and then steal one of the next three Possible. How about that yeah fair. Cool. i'm gonna say win tomorrow okay win on Oof. saturday Oof. okay win the next time <laughs> i'm gonna say they are going to lose okay to the mavericks and they're going to win wow. their final game. I wanted a four and zero end to the to the season. Yeah, three three and one. I wanted an uber optimistic Lauren. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Lauren Rose Spencer, everyone. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, we were talking about this as we were going into the break, but then there are no more jazz games after that. Like, what are we a going to do with our lives? 
and like right Thanks, John. there's no more <laughs> especially with how well this season has ended it's like it feels like it's some um, coming to an end so quickly yeah, I've it's told, just it's devastating yeah i've told friends this recently like last year when the season was and it's different because last year i wasn't credentialed to games and i was which is i just i don't know what i'm like 20 games into that or something i just love it it hasn't gotten the least, <laughs> the least bit old for me yet it's awesome um that part's really cool but just in general the feel of the team last year it was almost like thank god the season's over like yeah. you know it was a really bad season it was rough in a number of ways this year there's just so much to be encouraged about there's so much such a big part of me that's just like what if the season had just started in january and right. then and we did the same 82 game schedule but it started january 1st instead the jazz would be like third in the west right now or something wow. it'd be i think by the standings they actually was something like that i didn't i haven't done the math recently before. i think they're 28 and 22 over the last 50 something, so, so maybe not that's that not good, that's yeah yeah that's be, in the playoffs but not third yeah it's well, it's, this, it's sad in this final stretch we've just seen so many improvements that it's so exciting that now it's like okay let's just keep going yeah, yeah. and then i thought rolling, about you know i thought about last night when i was leaving esa it's six months till we get to see more games of them that's true the court. Uh, not counting summer league start which counting I don't with count. these yeah there there will be summer league at least like let's let's at least appreciate that that will happen both in las vegas and uh in salt lake city this year so yeah. anyway that's another Salt City Hoops show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, check out the stuff on saltcityhoops.com for more great writing and analysis. You can always listen to an archive of the show on Stitcher, iTunes, or ESPN700sports.com. Thanks so much for listening.